The Art of Leadership Network. Hey leaders, welcome to the Lead Culture Podcast, part of the Art of Leadership Network. I'm your host, Jenny Katrin. Each week, I'm your guide as you explore powerful insights and practical strategies to equip you with the tools you need to lead with clarity and confidence and build a thriving team. My mission is to be your trusted coach, empowering you to master the art of self-leadership so you'll learn to lead yourself well so you can lead others better. Each week, we'll take a deep dive on a leadership or a culture topic. You'll hear stories from amazing guests and leaders like you who are committed to leading well. So let's keep learning on this leadership journey together. Friends, today I am joined by my friend, Steve Jones. Steve is a leadership coach, keynote speaker, consultant, and best-selling author who empowers leaders to build strong, united, and resilient cultures. His positive impact developed as a teacher and head football coach at Kimberly High School in Wisconsin, where he led his team to a record of 121 wins, nine losses, including 70 consecutive wins and multiple state championships. Steve's winning formula captivates Fortune 500 companies, pro sports teams, and competitive leaders aiming to inspire successful, connected teams. Now, you guys, I love this conversation with Steve. We connected via some mutual friends. You'll hear us talk about that in the episode. But just such a shared passion around the power of teams, about the power of culture. And I love Steve's perspective from a coaching, a football coaching um, background and history, and then how he's applying that to uh, executive leaders and businesses today. So we're going to talk about how culture drives winning behavior. No surprise there. Uh, that the best teams are always player led. And then he shares with us the twin thieves of fear of failure and fear of judgment. And he actually does a little bit live coaching with me around those two thieves. So I know you're going to love this conversation with Steve Jones. Well, Steve, welcome to the Lead Culture Podcast. It is fun to get a little more time to connect with you. We've got some mutual friends. Uh, You're doing a big event here in um, the Fox Valley Excellence and Leadership, which is one of the organizations that I get to be a part of. And uh, but I thought you need to be on the podcast. We just have a lot of shared interest, passion uh, around leadership, organizational culture, et cetera. So I'm super glad you joined me today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited uh, to have a conversation with you. It's going to be fun. So I would love just for our listeners to hear a little bit of your backstory um, and leadership journey, because I gave the bio at the beginning, but I think people always love to hear your story from you personally, rather than the, than the bio version. Yeah, absolutely. I think really my journey started when I was little. So unfortunately, I grew up in a, in a home uh, with an abusive alcoholic. And um, I had a lot of great leaders around me, two older brothers who I really think about as servant leaders because they were late high school, early college age, and really stepped up in, in, in my life and really were great role models and leaders. And I had a great fifth grade teacher named Jack Stoskoff, Mr. Stoskoff. And 
again, just an unbelievable impact on me as a leader. And just growing up and having those influential people in my life really, I think, spurred me into you know, where I am today. Um, specifically, you know, Mr. Stoskoff, as far as my career trajectory, you know, I, I started off as an elementary school teacher because of the impact that he had on me. Wow. I, I got into coaching because of not only him, but other coaches that I had in my life that when I was looking for, you know, positive adult role models, those were the people in my life. So, you know, fortunately, sports were a big part of that journey, too, of, of learning leadership skills. Yeah. Uh, I ended up playing college football and uh, coaching college football for a year and then got into teaching. So as I said, elementary education teacher, I, I coached multiple sports. And then the back half of my my educational journey, as far as being a teacher, um, I was a, a high school leadership teacher for 13 years. Oh, and, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was an unbelievable experience. And I give credit to you know our administration and our school district, our school board of, of having the vision for that because- yeah. It, it was it was an unbelievable experience. It was open up to the entire school, so it was an elective, uh, freshmen through seniors, and um, we got to really dive deep. So, really, my whole like thirteen years, my life was really revolved around leadership. Like getting to read lots of books, listen to podcasts, yeah. you know, and then most importantly, learning alongside of our young leaders about what got them excited, what they were fearful of. Um, so I didn't have to worry about profit margins. I didn't have to worry <laughs> about things, but really getting the reps every single day, class after class of, of learning and teaching and applying. And then the unique thing too, is I was also the head football coach at our high school for the, for the back half of my career, 11 years. Mm-hmm. So I got to take those ideas and those theories and principles and stories and see if they actually worked because leadership's a lot easier to talk about. It's a lot easier to read about yes. than to do. Yep. And got to take those into an unpredictable, highly competitive situation and see if it actually worked. And if it didn't go back and revamp, so and try it again. For yeah. 13 years, it was, you know, learning about leadership, teaching it, applying, reflecting, revamping, just that constant cycle. Um, and then as we experienced some success at Kimberly High School and, and our football program, word caught wind that we were really focused on leadership development and culture. So businesses started to catch wind, asked me to come in and speak to their teams. And that started to take off. Um COVID hit around that time, and um, my my co-author, Lucas Jaden, who's now my business partner, we uh, wrote the book, The Twin Thieves, um, which experienced some success. So then more of those calls started coming in. So I got right. to the point uh, of, of what do I do here? And I couldn't do it all. So about a year and a half, I uh, decided to leave education, join Lucas Jaden. It's now Jaden Jones, and we get to work with Amazing organizations, businesses. We get to work with professional sports organizations, colleges, military, Olympic athletes across the board. So it's really been a, a fun journey. It's been so fun. Like, and it's fun to just hear some more of your um, reflections on your journey because I moved to the Fox Valley six years ago now. And I had grown up in Wisconsin. And then we were, I was gone. I was in Tennessee, California, moved back. Most of my family had settled in the Fox Valley. And as you know, Excellence in Leadership, the nonprofit that I help um, lead, your name often came up as a speaker. And so I would just hear about it from different people talking about, oh, you've got to meet Steve Jones. He's this legendary football coach of the Kimberly High School team. And like, and it was just fascinating to hear these stories of this local football coach who people just revered for how you led the team, and then hearing you talk about applying those leadership principles inside, um, you know, coaching I, is just super fun. So it just got me so curious because I was like, here's this guy who was 
you know, doing what I presume you love to do, which was, you know, uh, invest in students and their education, the leadership, the coaching, and then to just see your gifts flourish in that way and start to have an impact, you know, beyond. And you referenced it not directly, but, you know, all of us Wisconsinites are big Packer fans. And you guys have had the privilege of working with the Packers, with Bergstrom Automotive, like big organizations in uh, Wisconsin. And it's just fun to see the continued impact there. So how did your love of coach, and maybe, maybe it wasn't a love of coaching, maybe it was a love of leadership and that showed up in coaching, which came first? And how would you say they're connected? Like, did your love of coaching develop into a love of leadership and culture or vice versa? Give us a little more context there. I would say probably a little bit of both. So, you know, I think with a lot of former athletes, um, you know, I was not athletic enough to make it past college football. So you kind of get to the point where, okay, well, my, my playing career is done. You know, how do I continue to kind of be a part of, of the game that's given so much to me and give back? And so you get into coaching, but then what you thought coaching was and what it really is, is two different things. You know, I, I thought it was very much about the X's and O's. And I think strategy is important, but it's really about people, you know, and uh, as you start to figure yeah. that out, really, it becomes, well, how do you make a positive impact on these people that you have the privilege to lead? And, and how do you develop more leaders? And how do you develop a culture where everybody comes in and feels valued? And and the more I got into that and started teaching, and then we developed a leadership council in our football program, I really found that that was like a huge competitive advantage. Like, Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of secrets and X's and O's ever and anymore. Like, you right, know, right. really, you know, when you can develop leaders that care about each other, that want to fight for each other, that, you know, create a culture where it doesn't matter if you're the starter and you're an all-state player or you're a scout team player that never sees the field on a Friday night, that you are valued in our program. When you can do those things, that's really what I started to fall in love with. And it really yeah. started to shift. Uh, you know, I, I still like the X's and O's, but I love the leadership. I love getting in front of our team and talking about mindset and leadership and impact. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really what I, I, I ended up really loving. So when I got to that tipping point, I told you about, I'm like, hey, if I can just do this all the time, that would be fun. Right. Let's try that. So yeah. um, I think it started as a love of coaching and wanting to be a part of the game. And then soon into it, realizing it really wasn't about winning games and it wasn't about X's and O's. It was really about having a an opportunity to make a positive impact on on people. I love that so much. I um, similarly, you know, I my first career was in the music business in Nashville. That's kind of I left Wisconsin to go work at a record company in Tennessee, and you know, I thought it was all about that dream job. And then as I got into it, I realized I actually loved the team. Like I loved building a team that was working together to accomplish the mission, accomplish the goal. And it was such a surprise to me that that's actually what I really loved was the team dynamic much, much more so than what we were actually doing. And uh, so that's that's kind of fun. Talk to me a little bit about so you're coaching high school. You guys had like this crazy winning record. Will you speak to that a little bit just to give people context of like you had a pretty legendary record with the Kimberly High School team. So speak to that before I finish that question. Yeah. So over the course of 11 years, when I was had the opportunity to be the head coach, we, and, and I really emphasize we, because it was not a me thing, you know, it, it literally takes a village. Um, and we had amazing coaches and administration and parents and then obviously amazing athletes. So it's definitely yeah. not a me thing. But over the course of 11 years, we were 129 wins and nine losses. 
And then we also had a 70 game win streak in there where we won five consecutive state championships. So at the time it was the longest in the nation still is, you know, the longest in, uh, you know, in Wisconsin history. So, um, yeah, so we, we experienced success and I, I think, and there's a lot of people in the world that, that can, can vouch for this in different areas. I think of a guy named Bob Chapman. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's an amazing C- CEO at Barry Waymiller, but you can really care about people mm-hmm. and still have great success in profit and wins and whatever your That's area right. is. It's not yeah. one or the other. Yeah. So we had high expectations. We worked really, really hard, but we also loved and cared for each other. And we invested in people, but it wasn't like one or the other. I think there's a lot of people in the world that think like, okay, if you care about people, then you don't care about profit. Or if you care about profit, you don't care about people, but the best of the best can do both. Can do and both. I think that's one thing that we really prided ourselves on. What does that look like, Steve? Do you have an example or two of like how you, or, or what that looked like inside of that team for you of how you managed both of those pieces? Yeah. So I think one, like we, we had this winning formula, which is a little bit ironic because we never once talked about winning. You know, we didn't stand in front of the team. I never once stood in front of the team and say, we need to win this game because ultimately winning is an outcome we can't control. That's right. What it took to be a winner. What are the controllable behaviors and habits we can develop that's going to give us the outcome that we desire? But we called it the winning formula and the first, and there's four variables to it. But I think if you have these four things, you can be successful in any organization. Uh, The first variable and intentionally it's people, people first, right? So it's all about the people. Um, We always talked about bricks don't build championships, people do. It comes mm-hmm. down to the people. So, and and maybe the listeners that are that are listening right now might be the people you hire, the people you recruit, the people you develop. It's about caring for your people. The people then drive the culture. So that's the second component. And mm-hmm. us, us culture is really simply defined as how you do how you do things. Yeah. Yep. So it's how you communicate. It's how you problem solve. It's it's all of the hows, right? Yeah. And ultimately, why do you have culture to drive winning behaviors? Whatever mm-hmm. winning means to you, but. If you yeah. have a strong culture, it drives consistent winning behaviors. The third component is preparation. We would use a quote all the time from John Wooden, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing the dirty hard work. Like That's there good. isn't a secret to success. Like a lot of times it's rolling up the sleeves, doing the mundane, doing being the best at the basics, sometimes without a pat on the back, but doing the work in the dark. That's and right. then the fourth component is the execution that everybody in an organization, everybody on a team has got a job to do. Right. And if everybody does their job, you have a chance. So if you do those four things, you got great people, you, you care for your people, they drive the culture. Because ultimately, culture is not top down, it's bottom nope. up. Uh, right. Yep. Well, yep. Vision may come from the CEO, president, it might come from the head coach, but it comes to life through everybody underneath. Yeah. So they drive the culture each and every day. You work really hard and you do the job, you do those four things. I know it sounds simple, but simple doesn't mean easy, but you can do those <laughs> things consistently. You have a shot of being successful. So, that's kind of higher art, you know, the, 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 the big view of really systematically how we broke that down. Yeah. And going back to the idea of culture, because I know that, that you're a big fan of culture and the work that you do around it, but really the idea of shared ownership and culture. Yeah. So a lot of times when I go in and I deliver a keynote to an organization, within the first couple of minutes, I ask a quiz question. And I say, okay, who in the room owns the culture of this organization? Right. And most people put their hand up and they understand. But if one if they all point to one person, then we got a lot more work to do. Right. But uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's to kind of understand that culture is not this one person or the board right. CEO that's everybody. So having that shared ownership, because the best teams are always player led. Mm, the best organizations are always employee led. 
but you got to be systematic about that. Like you can't just say it. it's like, how do you build systems around it? So one system we built around it was we developed the leadership council. Yeah, we we developed our leaders and we met and we we gave them opportunities to lead. And that was really an important piece of building that team systematically of like, how do we not only say, okay, culture is not top down, it's bottom up, the best teams are player led. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing, okay, well, how do you build systems around it to create leaders that drive the culture from underneath? That's big. That's big. Talk a little bit about... Um, you know, I think this is feels very true in sports coaching, although I have not done sports coaching. So I defer to you as the expert um, in you. You know, you have a scenario where you're dealing with rosters that are constantly changing. In your case, you know, your key players are graduating. You know, you've got people graduating every year. So you have kind of that revolving door, which I think is actually more common and I think it is more common in even businesses today in that people's tenure on teams is much shorter. So I think every leader I'm talking to is experiencing more turnover than maybe they've experienced in the past. But that was probably a pretty common part of your experience as a high school coach. So how do you maintain culture with so much change all the time when there's so many people kind of moving, coming and going and so forth? Yeah, you're, you're right. Every year we lose about a third of our team. You know, we had, we had, you know, on average 30 to 38 seniors that would graduate every yeah. year, you know, and, and now we have an influx in. So, uh, well, the big idea, right? Simplistic answer is develop a culture because the culture should, should not change. So as people come through, you have the culture, you have common values, you have common language, you have common, you know, uh, the clearer that is, yeah, whatever it is, but you have those kind of systems built in. So when people come through, you, you have that there. Yeah. And then I think another big part for us was that idea of the ownership and being player led. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine a triangle, I think the typical hierarchy, at least of, you know, a high school program would be freshmen would be on the bottom. Then you'd have the sophomores, juniors, seniors would be on top of that, that triangle. And at least in my experience, kind of growing up, it was the seniors, you know, kind of not treating the freshmen well and the freshmen would have to pick up the locker room and freshmen have to clean up the field and freshmen, you do this because I'm a senior and I've earned right, it. Right, right, right. And so what we taught in our program is that the best leaders, the common thread amongst all great leaders is that they are servants. Mm. And if you want to so leave, you just, like, you just shaped that from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and, and if you want to truly leave a true legacy, you, you need to learn how to serve. So we actually took that that pyramid and we kind of flipped the paradigm on its head. Yeah. So our seniors and our juniors would serve the freshmen and sophomores. So our seniors and juniors would model the behavior. They would pick up the field first. They would clean the locker room. They would go up to freshmen, put their arm around them, say, you know what? I've been there before. It's really mm-hmm. tough, but I'm here for it. If you need, our seniors would give rides home to freshmen, pick them up in the morning. Our seniors would call freshmen on a Saturday morning and say, hey, I'm going to come pick you up for breakfast on my dime. Wow. You know, but... We weren't perfect, but I, I, we were connected and our kids cared about each other. Yeah. And the cool part about going back to your question is when you treat the newbies like that mm-hmm. and they become the experienced ones, what do yeah. they want to do? Yeah. They want to they they, return the favor, right? Yeah, they want to exactly. return the favor in a good way. They want They're going to model them. what they experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, so how you treat and how you create systems around your experienced leaders and how they mentor and how they guide and how they show what this culture is about is really, really important to get that culture to cycle. And yeah. I think one of the most important phrases out there is, hey, from, from your leaders, specifically your employee leaders, not just the CEOs and presidents of, right. hey, this isn't how we do things around here. 
Yeah. Or, hey, this is how we do things around here. Yeah. And when you can get that from your employee leaders, because it's one thing to go through an onboarding handbook and all this other stuff, but then it's the day-to-day experiences of, hey, yes. this is how our culture works. Yeah. That's how you get a systematic culture built. So good. That's so good. I could probably keep pulling on threads of that because I, I just love it so much, but I want to make sure we get to a couple other things. Um, what lessons did you learn in, because now you're in more uh, coaching executives, corporate coaching, et cetera. So what lessons have translated from your football coaching days to your uh, executive coaching days? What, what, what lessons kind of carry through? I think just so many. I really do. I mean, I just, I think there's so many parallels and I, I was worried about it myself. Like I was worried about making this transition. Is it really going to, to connect? Right. And and there's so many connections to coaching because how we opened up, it's not about the X's and O's. It's it's about the people and developing leaders and building a strong culture. So, you know, there are so many different carryovers. Um, and there's, there's just a, a few principles that maybe I could share that I, for examples, right? So what one, you know, because I think, again, going back to that common language is really important. So we had Mm -hmm. some common language. One one word that was really important in our program was Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a word that originated in South Africa. And the base meaning of it is I am because you are. Uh And I think in these villages in South Africa, they knew that ultimately they were an ecosystem. So whether it's a football team or an organization, you're an ecosystem and you're interdependent on each other. Yeah. And the strongest organizations, I think, understand the importance of value, recognition, appreciation of everybody in the role that they play. Mm-hmm. And my question for a lot of, of, of executives is, okay, well, how are we becoming systematic about catching champions? Because a lot of times we're going around shining a light on poor behavior where we're catching criminals all the time. Yeah, that's good. Some people aren't catching champions enough. And recognizing mm-hmm. the people that are doing the dirty hard work in the dark. So one quick example in our football program, if you know anything about football, running back typically is only as good as offensive linemen. So offensive linemen yeah. are the ones doing the dirty hard work. They don't get a lot of recognition. They don't get their name in the paper, but the running backs are scoring the touchdowns. Right. They're the ones getting their name in the paper. They're on the news. So our running backs recognize that. So when we had our team meetings after games, they would walk in and they publicly thank the offensive line. And on top of that, they would bring in plates of cookies and brownies and donuts because the fastest way to offensive heart is through his stomach, right? So (laughs) ultimately, those offensive linemen knew that they were valued. And I think as a human being, whether you're 16 or you're 60, that's what we want to know. Are we a valued member of the tribe? Totally. Yeah. I love that so much. And and again, in some ways, it feels so obvious. And yet that's not how a lot of cultures are built, where, you know, we helping those you know, the, the ones who are getting more recognition are honoring and recognizing the ones that are helping handle all of the stuff behind the scenes that makes it possible for them to do what they do, whether, you know, that's in football or that's in a company of some kind. That's so, so brilliant. So we, we'd have like our, our starter, our starters, right? After practice, they'd go up and they would thank and put their arm around the scout team players. So these are usually the younger guys that are like preparing us for the game because mm-hmm. those starters knew that if they got a really good look in practice, that mm-hmm. they were going to be more prepared for Friday. Now being a scout team player is a pretty thankless job, but when you get the thanks from your peers, right? Yeah. Not necessarily from the coach. It's one thing if I would say it as the coach, the CEO, totally. yeah. but when it's peer to peer, oof, yeah. now we're talking about impactful. 
Yeah. So that's just that's one, like, one of many principles that we share that I think resonates, whether it's sports or it's business. Yeah, that's huge. Okay, I want to give time because you and your business partner wrote the book called The Twin Thieves. Uh, and so I would love for you to tell us just in brief, because we want people to actually get the book. Um, yeah. Tell us about these two thieves and why they're so important for us to be aware of. Yeah, so like, like I mentioned before, and you had mentioned Lucas Jaden, he's my co-author, my business partner. He's amazing. He coaches some of the highest performers in our country. He coaches the coach of the LA Dodgers. He coaches hedge fund managers. And what was really interesting, <clears throat> and he's been doing that for almost a decade, but um, what was really interesting is we got together and started having conversations, the same things that were kind of holding these high-end business sports leaders back mm -hmm. were the same exact things holding young leaders back, high school interesting. leaders. Interesting, yeah. And those two things were the fear of failure and the fear of judgment. So what we did is we named them because if you can name them, you can tame them. And we named them the twin thieves because the fear of failure and fear of judgment, we call them twins because sometimes they get mixed up, right? A lot of people mm. say, well, I'm scared of failure. But the more questions you ask, you realize they're not even really scared of the failure itself. They're worried about the judgment that comes after the failure. Sure, sure. Like, if I fail, what's my boss going to think? If I fail, what's my spouse going to think? If I fail, what's Facebook going to think, right? So it's the right. judgment, right? So just like twins can sometimes get mixed up, these two can get mixed up. Yeah. Call them thieves because if we allow them to, they can rob us of a lot of things in our life, in our journey, right? They can rob us of success. They can rob us in joy. They can rob us of growth. I can keep going on and on, but I think they're the biggest thieves in America. Yeah. And sometimes they get masked as other things. Like a lot of people say, well, my biggest hang up is I don't have enough time in the day. Well, when you go deeper into that and you ask more questions, well, What's at the root of that? Mm -hmm. Well, then I'm not good enough or I'm not, I'm going to fall short. Well, what is that? The fear of failure, fear of judgment. So really at a lot of the things that are holding people back, it's those two things. So I think one thing that differentiates us a little bit is we really try to get to the root mm -hmm. before we focus on the fruit, right? Yeah. And I think yep. the root is a lot of our beliefs and a lot of things that were ingrained in us, even when we were younger. Yeah. And a lot of those things are based on the fear of failure and the fear of judgment. One small caveat to that, a little bit of it is healthy, right? It, sure. Not saying that some fear and some fear of failure and some fear of judgment is, isn't healthy. It can drive us. But we found is the highest performers usually are our toughest critics on mm -hmm. themselves. And those are the things that are really the lid of the jar. Mm. A quick story, what I mean by the lid of the jar. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was told if you put a grasshopper in a glass jar, put some grass in there, a couple sticks, screw the lid on top, poke some holes in there, right? You can leave that grasshopper in there for a couple of weeks. It'll jump and a jump and a jump, you know, keep hitting that lid of the jar. Eventually you can actually unscrew the lid and that grasshopper will never jump out because it thinks it can only jump so high. And there's a lot of things that are our lid. And I think a lot of times it's the fear of failure and the fear of judgment. And what we can do is we can help people take the lid off the jar so they can jump out and be who they're mm -hmm. meant to be. Hmm. This totally resonates with me because I think I can, I, I resonate with it personally. And then with a lot of the leaders that we get to coach, this makes a, just a ton of sense. How do you coach a leader that has risen to a pretty successful position, if you will, and uh, is still dealing with these twin thieves, right? Like, 
how do you get them to think differently? Like what does, give us a little insight of what that, what your coaching looks like in getting them to really recognize and change their, I'm guessing, change their belief system around these things. Yeah. Well, one, I think you got to make it visible because it's impossible to beat an invisible opponent. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people think it's something, and then you got to do some work to get down to the root of things. Sure. And so we ask people, okay, well, what is like when your inner critic gets loud, Okay, mm-hmm. let's do this, Jenny, real quick. Yeah, Jenny, go for when it. your inner critic gets loud, right? When you're beating yourself up a little bit, and you can be a little vulnerable on the call here, what might that sound like if you were going to use it in a sentence? Mm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's funny because I like had like had a recent episode of this, and I'm thinking the inner critic is like, what are you thinking? Why do you think you're doing this? Who do you think you are? You just need to go back and do something that felt safer, you know, point to something previous and go just that was safer. That was less risky. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of who do you think you are? I think is probably the voice I hear. Absolutely. And I would say all the listeners on the call right now, could you resonate with something that Jenny just said? And I bet you there are hands going up, you know, all over the place because those are very common thoughts and feelings, right? So, you know, ultimately what I'm hearing there is that I'm not good enough, right? Or I'm not blank enough. And that's really at the root of a lot of it. So I would say, and and we we could spend a lot of time on this. I know we don't have all day here, but I'd say the first thing is to question your thoughts, Hmm. right? Is it 100% true? Yeah. 99% of the time, it's not. Like, is it true that you're not good enough, Jenny? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. And the next step is, well, how do you function? Like, how do you lead when you believe that thought to be true? Ooh, that's a big question. You don't, you don't lead at your best. Okay. So then, and we could dive deeper if we were doing a real coaching call. And then the second, Mm -hmm. the third and final question I would ask you on this is how do you lead when you don't believe it's true? How do you lead in the absence of those thoughts? How do you show up for people? Oh, much more, much more engaged, comfortable, focused on them instead of focused on me. Right? We call it your little person voice, that inner critic, right? So your little person voice, the one little I like that. Loves yeah. for you to focus on you, your problems, your insecurities. When you have your big person voice, your confident voice, when you learn to question your thoughts, then you show up for other people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, yep. So Oh, Again, so good. We could, dove, we could have dove a little bit deeper, but for the sake of time, that was a quick way that, because here's the last thing I'll say is you use the example of a high end leader, somebody that's accomplished a lot of things. Yeah. It doesn't mean those voices go away. That, that doesn't mean the inner critic gets, gets softer. Oftentimes it gets louder. I was going to say, I almost feel like that's my experience of 20 years on in my career. I feel like the critic voice is almost louder in than it might have been when I was younger, which is really interesting. And you would think, I guess, if uh, if you'd go back 15 years and say, okay, well, if I would have accomplished this and this and this and been running my business for seven years and all this other stuff, I bet you your younger stuff would have thought, your younger self would have thought that those voices would have went away. Right, like, right. Yeah. A lot of people think that confidence and belief and a lot of these other things are on the other side of something. Like once I accomplish this, then I'm going to feel comfortable in my own skin. Right. I'm going to have confidence. Then it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's when we learn to question our thoughts, make it visible, learn how to rise above them to be the best version of ourselves, not only for us, but for others. So good, Steve. Okay. Now everybody's really getting a taste of this is the type of work you guys do and the impact of 
your coaching and leadership. So powerful. Okay. Anything else you want us to know about um, the twin thieves or, and even how, cause you guys write that in parable, like kind of a parable, right? So tell us a little bit more about the book. Maybe that's what, what I want you to do before we wrap up. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so we, we wrote it kind of how we like to read books. So it's short. Um, it's about 150 pages. It's parable, so it's easy to digest. The chapters are short, so there's only like two or three pages per chapter. So you can knock out five five chapters and you can feel really accomplished because you can <laughs> tell everybody you read five chapters. That's right. And then there's like a lesson and a story in every chapter. So yeah. we really think that stories stick. That's and right. There's, there's like a meaty lesson and a story in every chapter, so it's easily digestible. And what we found is it's transferable. So there are sports organizations that are using it, but there's also Fortune 50 companies that are using it, and it really transcends. So the parable is really based on a team's journey to rise above the fear of failure and the fear of judgment, some of the stuff that we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and really learn how to love each other and become the best versions of themselves, not only for themselves, but for the people around them. So good. Okay. How can we connect more with you, find the book, et cetera? Tell us all the places to go. Yeah, jaden-jones.com. So Jaden is J-A-D-I-N-Jones.com. Uh, that's our website, probably the easiest. And then uh, my email address is steve at jaden-jones.com. So uh, either way, you can find uh, both Lucas and I's email on the website, but uh, that'd be probably the, the easiest way to find us. And then we're all over social media as well. Perfect. Perfect. Steve, thanks so much. This was a fun conversation. I just really appreciate your your legacy, your work, your influence. And it's been fun to spend more time with you today. So thanks for investing in us. Thanks for having me. I enjoy the conversation as well. All right, gang, let me know what you thought of this week's episode. Didn't you love Steve's perspective? Couldn't you just feel his energy and passion? And don't you wish he had been your football coach when you were in high school? Uh, Such a fantastic leader with such good insights. So uh, let me know, again, what you thought of this episode. Share it on social media. We're at Get Foresight, G-E-T, the number four, S-I-G-H-T. And uh, pop on there, share with us what you thought, share the episode with a friend. And then I would love it if you would um, uh, go do a review for us. Like your reviews mean so much. And I know it takes a little bit of time. I know you've got to like, you know, jump onto your podcast app to do all of, of that, but it really actually is helpful. So if you would, if you're a regular listener, I would love for you to go leave a review, leave that five-star review and help us know how we're doing as we uh, seek to continue to uh, invest in you uh, as leaders. All right, gang, thank you so much for listening today. Share this episode with a friend and keep leading well this week.